And we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting at verse 26. And that's on page 1155 of the Church Bibles. So, chapter 14, verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Uh, Thanks, Julie. Uh, Let's uh, pray before we look through these uh, uh, verses. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, we pray as we come to this uh, passage that you'd encourage us, uh, show us more of your love, uh, teach us more about ourselves and uh, how we are to be as a church, to be your people. Uh, we pray that you would uh, speak to us now by your spirit. Amen. <clears throat> uh, well, we're almost through uh, chapters 12 to 14 in 1 Corinthians, uh, which we spent the last few weeks in. Uh, they are some of the most interesting, most debated. Uh, chapter 13, most preached on probably at weddings. Uh, chapters in the whole of the New Testament. Uh, and also some of the most uh, uh, challenging and uh, interesting for us as we read them in our modern culture as well. And uh, we've learned much. So let me start with a little bit of a recap Uh, from these three chapters, because they do go together. I've tried to summarise them into uh, four points, uh, which will pop up on the screen. The first one, uh, anyone who can truly say Jesus is Lord 
has the fullness of the Holy Spirit living in them. That's what we learned from the beginning of chapter 12. Uh, Paul's big point is anyone who is able to say Jesus is Lord has the Holy Spirit. They are saved. Uh, Jesus is Lord was uh, his sort of shorthand way of saying that someone believes in the good news, the gospel of Jesus, uh, who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, gave up the glory of heaven and became a man like one of us. He lived the perfect life that none of us uh, can ever live before God. <clears throat> he suffered and he died at the hands of humanity, people like you and me, uh, but he rose to new life, offering his perfect life in exchange for our sinful life. Uh, a swap takes place. Uh, Jesus takes our punishment, our just punishment before God for our sin, uh, and those who truly repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Those who say Jesus is Lord uh, swap places with Jesus, and we become sons and daughters of God. So that was his uh, uh, big point, I think, from chapter 12. Uh, the other thing we learnt is that anything done to build up the local church is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, again, from chapter 12, whether that be works of service or, or just simply works or miraculous gifts in the Corinth church, and it is, it is all a free offering from the Holy Spirit. It's a manifestation of his work in our lives as Christians to build up the local church so that glory goes to God, not to ourselves. Uh, we also learned that we should always seek to build up the local church, not ourselves, uh, this is Paul spends so much time in these chapters speaking against how uh, the Corinthians are treating their gifts and how they present themselves in church uh, because they're building themselves up, not each other. Uh, so as we gather as a congregation each week, we ought to be uh, motivated to build one another up. We're going to think more about that today. Uh, and then fourthly, love is essential. Uh, chapter 13. If, if things are done selfishly or for different motives, they're, they're not worth doing, almost says Paul. Love is essential. Uh, then Paul in this uh, uh, last little section that we're looking at today uh, effectively, I think, tells the church what everything, everything is already covered. What's that going to look like in practice in your church services? Uh, what's it going to look like? And I think the big picture from this chapter uh, is this first point, which is collaborative good order that builds up the church. Collaborative good order that builds up. Uh, we're going to look at, um, we, we thought much about this idea of uh, building up uh, the church. We thought about that last week, the week before as well. Uh, so let me concentrate uh, initially on collaborative and good order. What do those things mean? Why do they come out of the passage? So uh, have a look at, with me at verse 26 of chapter 14, uh, and let's have a look through this passage. Uh, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Uh, we've talked about this over the last few weeks, but uh, church is not something uh, you attend or some, somewhere where you go to get something. Uh, it's not something you go and spectate. Church is us. That seems to be Paul's point. When we come together and we share, uh, church is us. It's not a building. It's not an event. If you like, it's a people or a people group. It's a family. That's the language used in the New Testament. Uh, we have paid staff uh, 
obviously, um, where we, we may, the staff may uh, push in initiatives forward and lead on certain things, but the staff aren't special where you come and just sort of watch us perform. Uh, no, we're, we're simply freed from other work to focus fully on what we all are as a people, as a family, as a church. Uh, we have elders as well who perhaps take responsibility for protecting sound doctrine and theology, uh, oversee our faith and the care of our church. Uh, but none of this changes the fact that we are the church, each one of us, if we believe in the Lord Jesus and gather here. We are all required to be the church. We're one body. That was the image from chapter 12. Uh, and every part of the body, whether you recognize it or not or know it or not, is essential to the body. We are the church. Uh, and I think on the whole, as a, as a church here, we've got a lot to give thanks for in this area. Um, I don't know if you know, but there's uh, approximately 22 people rotated for every service. Uh, that's 44 over the two services every single Sunday. That's a lot of people involved uh, in a more formal capacity. Uh, but then there's things outside of rotors, conversations you have with people before or after the service. Uh, there's home groups where we share life and faith and in more depth. There's the occasional interviews or testimonies from the front. Uh, there's teams that organize evangelistic events and socials and discipleship events. Uh, there's youth groups where even the youth should attend with this attitude of uh, belonging and serving rather than one uh, of being built, uh, one to get what they want out of it. It's actually, I'd say, pretty much impossible to calculate the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of our church. Uh, in building others up selflessly for the glory of God week in and week out. There's much to give thanks for. Uh, there's perhaps also some ways we can think about and improve in this area as well. Uh, verse 26 uh, gives us a couple of specific uh, ideas. Perhaps you come across a new song in the week, and rather than keep it to yourself, that's an opportunity to share it with the church. Maybe speak to one of the music leaders or to Jeeb, who uh, oversees the music for us, and see whether we can include it, whether it's useful for our church. I, I can't promise that we'll use every song suggested. Uh, as we do with prophecies, we weigh them. We want to make sure that they're beneficial for the church. But we can share more. Uh, we often like to do more. We, we often want to do more interviews and testimonies uh, from the front. But it's quite hard to find people who are confident enough to stand at the front. And I know that's a bit scary. But perhaps thinking about this chapter, we'll now think, yeah, maybe I will say yes next time I'm asked, or uh, perhaps I'll put myself forward if something specific in my life, or I think something I've heard or a story may be useful. Then talk to one of the staff, and uh, we'll see if we can help you to build up and encourage the rest of the church. Uh, there's also more need. Uh, to, as I said, there's, there's 44 people rated every Sunday. Uh, so we always need more people to get involved. So perhaps if you're not involved as a church, one response to these chapters may be to say, yeah, how can I build up my brothers and sisters, my family more? Uh, can I get involved on a rotor? Uh, in the morning, we need, uh, I'm, I'm, I asked Claire for a list. So here we go. In the morning, we need some more stewards, uh, some singers, helps if you can sing, helps if you can stack chairs. So, you know, don't sign up if you can't do these things. Uh, we need more musicians. Again, you need to be able to play something. Uh, we need more Sunday school helpers, and that's in the morning. In the afternoon, we need more stewards as well. We need people for the PA, and we need some more Sunday school teachers. 
Uh, perhaps you'd even be willing to love your family enough to serve at the other service that you don't normally attend, uh, to show that we belong to each other and we come to serve and build each other up, uh, not, to fit, not just to get what we can get out of it. Uh, we also need help at Friday night youth groups. Uh, so I don't know if you've, you know what goes on on a Friday, but from about 6.30 till... 10 o'clock, there are just a rotation of different age groups coming through and we could do with some more help, helpers and leaders at those groups to help serve our children and youth as well. They're great ways to, it sounds really practical and boring, doesn't it? But they are great ways to love and serve our family. That is uh, what it would look like to come and build up our local church. Uh, outside of those specifics though, um, I think one of the big takeaways from this, these chapters, and it as it comes up again in this chapter, is to, I'd really encourage us all to think of church as being something that we are together, not something we attend or something that we need to do. It, it is who we are. We are church. That is what we are. We're each part of this body. We each need to play our role. We each need to get stuck in and serve and the, the wider body. And so we grow in faith and we grow in number when the body works strongly together, when we share the good news uh, and more people come to know the Lord Jesus because they see that we are a family. We're not just coming to an event or a social activity. Uh, this is who we are. This is our, our identity in Christ. So uh, that's why I use the word collaborative. Uh, Paul speaks of being collaborative in the way in which we do church, if you like, because that is who we are. So it's collaborative. Uh, but collaborative doesn't just mean uh, it's then just a random free-for-all. So everyone just turns up and does whatever they like and we just see what happens. Uh, it doesn't mean that some individuals monopolise services by always uh, speaking. Or, or to, It doesn't mean that certain opinions are just more, more um, heard just because someone's better at arguing. Uh, the collaborative doesn't mean that because Paul also wants us to maintain and display good order. Uh, so have a look at verse 27 to 33 where you get this principle uh, coming out. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three, at, uh, sorry, at the most three, should speak one at a time. And someone must interpret. If there's no one to interpret, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Oh, things are falling on me here. Uh, the first speaker should stop, uh, for you can all prophesy in turn, uh, so, that, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Uh, we've covered at length in chapter 12 and uh, the first part of chapter 14 the whole area of tongues and prophecy. Uh, we even covered these verses uh, last week. So uh, we won't talk more about the specifics of that today, uh, but do listen to those uh, sermons uh, if you haven't uh, heard them so far. But it's the principle of what's going on here that I think is really beneficial for us. Uh, what, whatever our church gatherings contain, Paul's governing principle is that we ought to be uh, of good order. Uh, it's not chaotic. It's not argumentative. It's not one-upmanship. It's not, look at me, I'm amazing because I'm doing this or that. 
Uh, that's what it looked like it was in Corinth. And Paul's correcting that whole uh, chaotic, argumentative, one-upmanship attitude. No, instead, it's to be controlled and organized. Uh, you get an idea in those verses that Paul's expecting people to be in complete control of what they're doing in humility and calmness and respect for one another. Uh, he also expects this humility that even as things are shared, others are able to engage with those and perhaps dismiss them as not being helpful. Uh, that requires a huge amount of respect and humility as we, uh, as we engage with one another. We're not proud of ourselves. We're genuinely after loving and building up the local church, each other. Uh, the big point being, I think, that after all, what's important is the truth about God, not the importance of individuals. It's not important who is doing what and what is, who looks good. It's important that the truth is heard. As we'll see in a minute, that's the way in which, the key way in which we are built up. Uh, and I think um, it's something we work quite hard on to get right here as a, ch as a church, this idea of being ordered. Uh, and it's important because uh, Paul gives us his principle in verse 33. Uh, let, let me read that to you again. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Uh, his point seems to be that not only is God a God of peace, but who would want a God of uh, chaos and disorder and confusion? No, no one would want a God like that. We don't have a God like that, so why would our church services look like that? How could a church like that honour or glorify or worship a God who is characterised by peace and order? Uh, I was trying to think, what, where do we see God's order and peace uh, in, in his character? And uh, the obvious one is to just think about the gospel, how God is bringing peace and order into darkness and chaos in our lives. So in our chaos, in our sin, in our darkness, in our death, in our rebellion against God, he brings complete peace and order through the Lord Jesus. He doesn't sort of chaotically bring about forgiveness of sins. Uh, he, he doesn't uh, desire uh, to have us as enemies and it's just complicated and confusing. No, he brings order to our sin by justifying us through Christ Jesus. It's ordered and right and just. Uh, he brings peace into our chaos and lostness by saving us to be holy and ordered people who glorify him. Uh, now as a church and as individuals, we're, we're never going to reflect that perfectly in this life. But there is a day coming, uh, John writes in Revelation, where all nations will gather together and in one tongue sing to the Lord God Almighty, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's where we're aiming for that's where we're going that is what god will make us when he returns and the journey we've already begun uh, perhaps if you're not a believer here today uh, then just this thought of peace and order in your lives might be enough to convince you to join the lord jesus to accept him as savior of your life this is what is on offer no more darkness and confusion no more chaos peace and order. And so that's how we want our church uh, to reflect.
that of God. I think that's uh, Paul's point here. Uh, so that's uh, good order uh, in the church. Uh, but let's now move on to uh, perhaps a slightly more controversial section of uh, Scripture. Uh, I've called this bit uh, marital good order, because uh, I think the, the principle of good order is uh, still a big point through this passage. Let me read verses uh, 34 to 35 to you again. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about anything, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Seems straightforward. Uh, let's pray. <laughs> I nicked that joke from another sermon I heard on this, but I thought it was quite funny. Um, uh, this is a classic example of why we must take the Bible uh, in context. We can't just pluck out verses and just apply them uh, blanket, uh, blanketly across everything. Uh, you might have heard of the person who liked to open their Bible to seek God's guidance, so they'd flick through. I was meant to bring an actual Bible up. You can't do it with an iPad, but uh, you, shall we do it? Yeah, let's try it. I'm gonna pretend. So it, it flicked through. So, right, okay, let's see what God's got here. Uh, Judas went out and hung himself. Okay, let's see what comes next here. Go and do likewise. (laughs) We have to take the Bible in context. We have to work out what the author is implying, what he's saying, what's going on. Uh, Context is essential. Uh, So first off, we go... That seems, uh, that seems quite extreme, but we also go, well, in the wider context of 1 Corinthians, it seems to contradict what he's already said, uh, 1 Corinthians 11. So just a few chapters ago, uh, he says, verse 5, uh, but every woman who prays or prophesies, speaking of the gathered church, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Uh, it is the same as having her head shaved. So here, Paul's got to have something more specific in mind. He's already said women ought to take part in the upfront, visible uh, ministry of the church. Uh, they are to pray and prophesy in that context up front. Uh, the context there is that uh, they're to do it with recognition of the created order um, in the church. Uh, the other context of Corinthians is we don't have uh, the letter from the Corinthians to Paul, which we know he wrote. So often through Corinthians, uh, we know Paul is responding to specifics that he's re- they have raised and asked him questions about. Uh, so presumably, when he writes this to them in this context of prophecy and tongues and good order in the church, they know exactly what he's referring to. They've presumably written something, we have this situation going on and we're not sure what to do about it. And Paul simply responds with, that can't happen. That can't happen. Presumably it's around this area of spiritual gifts and prophecy uh, and uh, women speaking in the church. We don't know the details. Presumably they did, otherwise it's it's, it's it's as unclear to them as it is to us. But there are a few clues to help us think through and and apply this principle, if you like, to us as a church. So as we read what Paul is uh, saying you mustn't do and what you should do instead, we get a few clues. Uh, Somehow there must have been an issue within the church that involves wives disturbing the good order of the gathered church. Uh, Perhaps uh, uh, it also means that somehow they're asking questions, because he says you should ask those questions at home. 
and in some way they're undermining their submission to their husbands. Paul speaks about according to the law, they're, they're undermining that. So there's a few clues as to what's going on and therefore what he's denying. Uh, his reference to the law is probably uh, a reference to Genesis 3.16. After the fall of mankind and Adam and Eve eat the fruit, there's consequences to their sin. So Genesis 3.16 says this, To the woman God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So there's some clues as to what Paul is speaking about specifically uh, possible scenarios of what's going on uh, there's endless scenarios but I think these are a couple of the more likely ones I think from reading through some of the commentaries. Uh, it may have been that wives were questioning or undermining their husband's prophecies and so embarrassing them unfairly or undermining uh, the created order of things in the church or it may have been that wives were talking to other men uh, before or after or even during the service uh, and potentially asking uh, uh, embarrassing or personal questions uh, or perhaps intimate questions that questioned their modesty or respect for their husbands and uh, husband and wife relationship. But to be honest, we don't know exactly. But we are reminded, and I think this is where it becomes helpful, of the godly principles we saw in chapter 11. So again, if you haven't uh, heard that sermon, do have a listen to chapter 11. But God speaks, uh, Paul speaks of God's created order of things, uh, where men and women are to be equal, but to have different roles within the church and within the family. Uh, so perhaps some ways we might want to be careful about this sort of principle and idea in our own context uh, I think it would be fair to say from this and other passages of scripture that wives should not engage in intimate or overly personal conversations with other men without their husbands with them. The reverse is also true. Uh, wives should not intentionally undermine their husbands in front of others. Uh, the reverse is actually also true. Uh, it also means husbands should not seek not, not think that uh, this idea of created order and headship means a kind of unrivaled dictatorship where we can just keep our wives quiet and they mustn't ask us any questions. No, in a public setting, we work together and we respect each other, but at home, Paul seems to think at least that we ought to discuss these things. And the wives ought to ask us questions and we ought to be prepared to discuss and debate uh, about these personal or intimate or theological discussions at home. So there's lessons, I think, for all of us there. Uh, but that sort of mutual respect and acceptance of God's design for marriages uh, both protects the marriage and the church, seems to be Paul's point, both from chapter 11 and perhaps here. Uh, and if you remember chapter 11, the, the big picture there was one of uh, modelling, echoing what Christ has modelled for us. So Christ models both headship and submission in chapter 11. Uh, he models headship over men, over the church, and he models submission to God the Father. He chooses it, makes him, certainly doesn't make Jesus less equal uh, to God the Father, but he chooses uh, different roles in different situations. So I hope that's uh, helpful. I don't think this is a blanket ban on women ever standing at the front and speaking, uh, which is why Jilly read the reading for us. Um, but uh, hopefully that's hel uh, some helpful principles to think through. 
Uh, thirdly, then, uh, we've looked at uh, collaborative good order, we've looked at marital good order, and thirdly, let's just look at biblical good order. Have a look at verse uh, 36 to 38. Paul writes, uh, this is not, doesn't appear to be related to uh, Paul addressing women. This is a new section addressing the whole uh, picture of prophecy in tongues now. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Uh, You'd be excused for not spotting the significance of a small phrase tucked into this statement, uh, but I think is very important and significant to uh, Paul's letter here. His general point is that a true prophet at that time would recognise that what he's been writing to them uh, is true and right. Uh, But he says something more. He says, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. That's a significant statement. It demonstrates to us that Paul understood that part of his special calling as an apostle at this time was to bring the very commands of God. He, he writes, if you like, with the authority of God. So it's not okay, in other words, to sort of read what Paul says in the New Testament, or the other apostles for that matter, and just dismiss them in exchange for our own opinion. Well, I hear what he's saying, but I actually think this. Paul is quite clear. He understands what he is doing is giving the Lord's command. The church, therefore, us, must sit under the word and authority of God, the Bible. Uh, It's a powerful way, isn't it, for Paul to close these chapters. He's almost closed the whole book to remind them that what he's saying is not just of an opinion or perhaps helpful this is the lord's command we take the word of god very seriously we are the church and we're therefore to build one another up in love by the power of the spirit but under the word the word is where we find our authority it's not okay to dismiss the word of god the bible it's not okay to instead sort of pursue the individualistic culture of our time and say, well, it's a bit outdated, or we we don't like it, or uh, I'm allowed to have whatever opinion I want. We're not consumers. We're not customers. The church, and nor is Jesus a, a service provider where we have rights and expectations of what we want done and done it done in our way. We are the church. We are a family, and we belong to the Lord God and His authority and His. Uh, word over us as recorded by the apostles and then made alive by the holy spirit in our hearts Uh, so i guess that means the the way in which we assess how well we're building one another up whether how we assess what a faithful church is is by our acceptance of and our teaching of the bible as our only authority that is a church in good order one that respects and submits to the authority of the word Otherwise, Paul says, verse 38, if you ignore what he's put here, uh, you will be ignored. Uh, What he means by that is God will ignore you. In other words, if God gives you his word and we say, yeah, no, 
not going to take that. Then God will bring judgment on you. That, that's his point. He gives you his loving word, the gospel, which leads to salvation, instructions for the church to be built up. And if you ignore that loving word, what, what other option do I have is sort of the point. God will then bring judgment on us for we've rejected the word that brings us his grace. But instead, we can accept his word. We have a gracious God who has revealed his truth and all that we need for uh, our faith and our good works and our life in Christ through his word and uh, taught to us by his spirit as we study and listen and uh, work on it. We're saved from darkness and we're put into this dazzling light of the Lord Jesus. We're empowered by his spirit and directed through his word. We're no longer lost or dark or confused. We no longer have to submit to every wind and change of our culture. We simply trust the word of God and that is a good order in the church. I think John 14, which I'll finish with, uh, captures this challenge, but reassurance uh, of this interplay between the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, our response, and us as a church. So John 14, 23 says this. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. That's what we've been talking about. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All I have spoken while still with you, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I encourage us to think through those verses this week, John 14, 23 to 27, as we reflect on how we can uh, on these chapters in Corinthians. Let me pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us your word that reveals truth to us. Sometimes that's hard, sometimes it's confusing, sometimes we'll get it wrong. Forgive us for those times. But thank you that in your grace, you reveal your great love for us, clearly, undeniably, in your word. Thank you that we have salvation through the Lord Jesus, through his work. Thank you that your spirit enables us to respond to that in repentance. If we don't know you, please open our hearts today. May we repent before you. And may we all give thanks that we belong to you. We are the church. We are recipients of your grace. We are to build one another up, to encourage, to instruct, to rebuke, to check, to think, to pray, to help. May we, we be a church of good order where we all share, where we all sit under the authority of your word for your glory and for our sake so that we may know and love you for eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.